Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast. I'm joined today by someone super exciting. This is Katie. Hi, Katie. How are you? Hi, Jill. I'm really good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to be on. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I'm super excited to have you on. And I'd love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself, who you are, all that kind of fun stuff. Sure. So my name's Katie. I'm currently doing my PhD in seagrass restoration at Stellenbosch University in South Africa. Um, Sadly, because of the way this year has panned out with the the COVID pandemic, um, I'm actually at home on the Isle of Man at the moment so that's been nice because I've been able to take advantage of all the all the diving around here so yeah that's a little bit about me. Nice so what got you started in kind of the marine world did you grow up around the water how did you kind of get into it? So I grew up on that Isle of Man which is a really tiny island in the middle of the Irish Sea so uh, you can drive maybe 20-30 minutes in any direction and be by the coast um, and then wow. so yeah we'd always just be outside walking I have a super outdoorsy family um, one side of the family is farmers and the other side are horticulturalists so <laughs> over the summer or whatever we'd always be outside and yeah then I I, I was really into um, conservation work so I started volunteering with the Marist Wildlife Trust and they got me doing some really cool work looking at um, identifying individual seals through their spot patterns to see if the populations in the Isle of Man were moving between Ireland or Scotland and um, some plastic bag campaigns uh, to reduce plastic waste and things like that. And that was really just how it slowly, slowly evolved from there, really. Cool. So you originally started out, you went to Madagascar to dive. And tell us about that. What, like, where'd you, how'd you end up in Madagascar? What happened there? So that was, that was, (laughs) that was a totally kind of a dream trip that I'd wanted to do. I didn't pick a gap year or anything like that. So uh, when I had the opportunity as part of my undergrad degree, um, I was doing a placement year as an ecologist. And because everything hibernates in the UK over winter, uh, they gave me the winter off. And I just always wanted to go off and do some solo traveling. And I just kind of, I mean, Madagascar was the pinnacle really from watching David Attenborough documentaries and things like that Uh, so yeah I just kind of I'd saved up all my money from working on my placement year and just went on this on this trip and it's amazing and I didn't actually really like diving to begin with uh, (laughs) which is crazy to think now because I went in the rainy season so uh, the day before I did my first dive it rained so the visibility was was shot and I was just it just felt super claustrophobic and you know it, there wasn't like there was any pool training 
beforehand. So I literally just jumped in at the deep end, literally. Um, <laughs> so but I had an amazing instructor called Juliet. And one day she just like grabbed my hand and was like, right, just we're going. And um, once we got down and I just stopped thinking about the fact that it was so crazy that I was breathing underwater, it was just amazing. It was ridiculous. Like we saw a turtle and just all the amazing reefs and fish and yeah it was like a whole other world and uh from there just kind of yeah I can't imagine ever (laughs) it is really overwhelming when the first time you dive like you have all these like okay so I'm breathing I'm underwater but I'm breathing and I can't see anything (laughs) typically in front of me and I can't like I don't have the mobility and it is very overwhelming but then once you get past that it's this beautiful like peaceful yet also a little bit terrifying kind of feeling like it is unreal it's just this unreal feeling and it's so funny that you started out not loving it and now (laughs) yeah now you uh (laughs) now you're where you are literally I feel like so many people I talked to about it were like oh yeah I loved it straight away I was like that was not me (laughs) at all (laughs) um yeah but I mean it's just such like as you say such a tranquil time and it's yeah just a totally totally different world honestly I just I can't imagine not diving anymore I think that'd be (laughs) that'd be the worst thing to take out of my life (laughs) I love it so you started out as a paddy diver, which is one that I believe pretty much everyone that's listening is familiar with, but you no longer are a paddy diver, right? Right. So um, I started out, uh, I got my paddy open water and then um, my advanced open water while I was in Madagascar. Um, I actually had to extend my trip a little longer because I got bit, I got a spider bite while I was out there. So I had to extend my trip a little bit so that I actually got qualified, um, which was really crazy. Um, but then when I got back, I, I really wanted to carry on diving. So I joined the university dive group, which um, all the UK dive clubs are BZAC. So that's the British Subaqua Club. Um, and yeah, so I had to learn how to do dry suit diving, which was again a whole other experience but actually it was really fun and it just went from there so I've just progressed through through BZAC and it's such a it's because it's more of a club-based system it really it's such a sense of community I, I yeah I can't recommend BZAC enough to be honest. So what's the like major difference is it just that Patty's kind of like worldwide accepted and BZAC isn't? Um so so BZAC is internationally recognized it's just yeah so um BZAC is great because it's run by volunteers so all the my instructors gave their time freely in the week to do all the theory lectures and gave up their weekends to go take us to quarries and things to do our skills um so yeah it makes it much more accessible especially when you're a student and you can't (laughs) afford to be going off to like warm places to go get your paddy qualifications um so it takes a little bit longer um and you know people tend to say that BZAC is a little bit more rigorous than paddy um just in terms of like they kind of build you up to become uh t 
teachers as well so you know you're not doing it as a commercial thing they basically are trying to train you into becoming instructors with the club to keep that sense of community really cool i like that yeah it's really lovely i uh yeah i have such good yeah so many good times uh on the on the trips and things going up to scotland with with bbac with my bbac club at um nottingham trent and then at leeds as well my favorite question to ask people that I have on here when I know they're divers is do you have any like standout moments like moments like moments in the water that are just like the most unreal experience or ones that just like you'll know you'll remember forever oh that's such a good question I mean how to choose one um wow so I suppose it was really my hundredth dive so I went um to japan as part of my master's uh, research with two of my yeah two of my greatest diving buddies uh, carolina and claire and it was the very last day that we could do any diving and we had this awesome skipper called nakasan and he let us do like a cheeky little 15 minute dive 99 so that i'll like i could do my hundredth dive there um yeah. and we dived the site in the morning but then god it was just one of those things that you could never you couldn't conjure up or anything or predict we just got down there and the light was the light rays were coming through the water so it was kind of making the reef look like it was sparkling and there was tiny little silver fish that were also uh, reflecting off all these sunbeams and we just saw so many cool things like sea snakes and octopus and nudibranchs of course it was just oh god it was just honestly magical it was it was crazy and we couldn't have been a better end to the trip and just such a memorable dive so yeah that oh, I love that <laughs> that'll be forever <laughs> I, like it'll be so hard to beat I can't I can't imagine <laughs> that being sometimes the best yeah. dives don't have these like insane super like heart racing exciting moments sometimes they're just when you feel like at the most peace and are just like I am so happy right now yeah literally it was just um I don't know yeah there wasn't anything particularly special that happened it was just so everything was just so perfect even the water had calmed down from earlier in the day and the visibility was amazing and yeah it was just yeah it was just perfect honestly it was just one of those things because obviously it's your hundredth dive so you want it to be amazing and then it just was and you, you really can't ask for more than that perfect so we've talked about love the oceans on this podcast before we actually had the founder on to talk and you got to do an internship with love the oceans how cool was that Oh my gosh, diving in Mozambique is insane. If I, oh gosh, I wish I'd invested in an underwater camera sooner um, because oh, like the other day I was going through my photos, um, like from my GoPro footage, and I was like, oh, I wish I'd taken that on a, on a proper underwater camera. It was just insane. The amount of humpback breaching and um, 
tail lobbing and fin slapping and things it's constant like (laughs) it's ridiculous honestly it's just the most insane place like we saw whale sharks humpbacks manta rays i mean you're i remember when we saw whale sharks we we went diving we were doing a sea safari and you could you were watching the whale sharks and you could hear humpbacks singing in the background and it was just (laughs) it was it was beyond that's unreal yeah it was crazy uh so that is so cool that was an amazing trip and like the other interns um on this trip as well were like oh we just had such a good group and yeah they really made it well if love the oceans podcast didn't already convince me then you've just convinced me that i do need to go down there and dive (laughs) obviously if you can dive i mean i really (laughs) i really suffer from seasickness which is quite unusual (laughs) amongst divers this is everything you're saying is so funny because it's so counterintuitive to the fact that you'd become a diver or a marine biologist in any sense (laughs) right you're like i didn't like diving i'm seasick and yet I dive all the time. Like. <laughs> Literally. I mean, it's it's just one of those things that I manage. I love diving. You can be sick underwater, as I've discovered. <laughs> um, and yeah, just I mean, it just at this point feels like a silly thing that kind of gets in the way occasionally. Uh, <laughs> and then I just carry on. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I mean, yeah, if you can dive in Mozambique, you can dive anywhere, and that's coming from someone who gets seasick um, because they have, like, swell and things underwater, um, which I hadn't experienced before until I, until I dived there. So, yeah, it, it's, it's so worth it. It's, oh, yeah, I'd love to go back. I'm hoping that when I can get back to South Africa to finish off my PhD that I can make a road trip up there again yeah absolutely so when you were doing your internship there what exactly were you doing and why did you take this intern what were your responsibilities what was like an everyday life every day in your life kind of like there um sure so we were doing a whole host of things but they kind of broke it down into uh so like one week we were doing training and then the next week we were doing coral reef surveys uh, mixed in with humpback whale behaviour surveys. So we would, we would have um, underwater microphones uh, in the water and be recording a whale song and then also monitoring what behaviour we could see at the surface so that they can hopefully determine if any kind of sounds that the whales are making um, are related to any kind of behaviours basically figure out if they have a language which I suspect they probably do um, and then as I said the reef the coral reef health surveys because um, they're ultimately trying to get um, the bay protected as a marine protected area which will be amazing if they manage to achieve that and I really hope they do and then we're also doing fisheries data data collection which is really it's a really interesting part of their work because you're basically looking at what species the fishermen are bringing up and um, taking like size data and things like that and that uh, that data does include protected species like sharks but so it's this 
it's a massive conflict because these artisanal fishermen are, you know, if they can catch a hammerhead shark, for example, then the, that shark fin um, is, is like a year's salary in what they would catch in other um, commercial fish species. And, and they'll lose everything from that shark, including um, we'd see local people using the vertebrae as checker pieces um, and they'll eat the meat and everything, um, which obviously isn't ideal with the mercury um, within shark meat. Um, so you have to have this mindset where, okay, this is a protected species, but um, these pe these fishermen aren't aren't the problem, and we need data from from why they're fishing the, these um, protected species to kind of monitor. Um, monitor the populations within the bay to look if you know if the sharks are reaching sexual maturity um if the sharks are beginning to get smaller then you can start looking at that um and you know you can use the vertebrae like tree rings to age them and things like that so yeah i mean we didn't see any hammerheads get brought up when we were there but you could go over to the dunes and find uh, the clasters which are the male sexual organs and also the hammerhead heads so the scalloped scalloped part which was yeah it was really eye-opening to be honest the whole experience um but it was really important because i think a lot of conservation work is very one-sided and external to the issue um and you know it really isn't um artisanal fishermen bringing up um sharks really isn't the big problem it's like the massive over exploitation in the wider oceans um so yeah it was just interesting to actually have a deep get a deeper understanding of of these really complicated issues like shark venting really yeah that's super awesome that's you were busy down there a lot of different <laughs> things which is what i think is awesome about love the oceans is they're not just focused on one portion it it really it really is loving every part of the ocean right and a massive part of that is the communities that ultimately need to have ownership um of of their local oceans and and seas to be able to have the have the knowledge and the the skills to be able to protect it like you know i'm sure um, Francesca talked about the fact that they're teaching local kids to swim and things because most of them will grow up yeah, yeah. fishermen um, and if you want to set up things like ecotourism to replace fishing then you need a community that can swim um, and that's just something that you know they take such a holistic approach with you know the, their schools and um, teaching the kids English and they really do think about every aspect of um, what that community needs to to protect something so amazing and special. Yeah, it's a really amazing thing that uh, Love the Oceans is doing. It really is so amazing. It is. It's yeah. It's it's really such a great. Um, it's such a great project and 
work you hard which you know is great um the, yeah the amount of experience I got from that trip was insane yeah now I would love to talk a little bit about the research you yourself has, have done so you finished yeah. your master's and you moved on to your PhD so let's talk about your master's a little bit first do you want to tell us where you did that and what you were doing Sure, so I did my master's at the University of Leeds uh, and my supervisor was Dr Maria Berger who's just such an icon, she's like what an amazing mentor to have. Um, So I did a master's in research which means that I do less taught modules um, to make space to do two research projects instead of one which is more typical in masters so yeah my first project was looking at mapping human threats to coral reef ecosystems in the indo-pacific so that these maps can be used as a tool for prioritizing mitigation actions and prioritizing management and then my second project was looking at using eDNA to um uncover any poleward shifts in coral communities due to climate change so really different and both really exciting projects to be involved with um yeah I'm still (laughs) I'm still working on them (laughs) so you were looking at mapping threats to corals so like what were for part of your project at least like what were the threats that you were looking at and how were they being mapped and like Really, how did you kind of go about studying that portion of your project? Right, so um, firstly, the threats that I looked at were coral bleaching, coral disease, predator outbreaks like um, urchins or crown of thorns starfish, ship grounding, uh, land brace runoff and sedimentation, and structure fishing. So in order to map those things, I had to create um, this huge database of these of these key threats and rank their severity to be able to produce these threat maps across the Indo-Pacific. And then you have to categorize each of these threats as either a discrete instance, for example, if a ship grounds, then that might be quite a localized one-off um, threat whereas if it's a um, coral bleaching incident then that might then lead to the corals being more susceptible to disease um, and it might happen over a longer time across a wider area Um, so yeah to the the impact of each of these threats really varies depending on the ecological context so we had to kind of weigh the vulnerability of the of the corals um, to characterize how the ecosystems are affected. So determining the spatial scale, how often the, the threat was happening, if it was something like a predator outbreak, did it was there another outbreak seen after after management? Um, and if the ecosystem was able to resist the threat or um, also account for any sort of recovery that may have happened because we looked at threats since 1980 so um, 
potentially a coral um, may have recovered from a bleaching event in 1980, um, but then have been bleached again in you know 2000. So it's it's it was such a complicated uh, thing to be able to model. Um, so that's why I'm I'm still working on it and. Um, another person has done their masters to try and begin on this project to try and develop it further um, to look at you know how to try and quantify reef response to it so i'm hoping it's going to be a really exciting paper when it's done uh because yeah i think yeah that sounds like a huge project though like no wonder it's taking like multiple years multiple people because that's huge yeah i mean i think it's one of those things that at the time sounds really great and exciting and then the more you get into it the more you realize how massive a thing you're taking on <laughs> and it kind of becomes like a little bit of a monster to kind of figure out okay like what's actually feasible within the time scale of a master's so um, but yeah, that's where Maria really came into her own and like managing that because I just kind of have an approach of like, let's just do everything, <laughs> um, which doesn't really work if you want to actually graduate. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to have a paper come out of it, you can't look at everything. <laughs> sure. Like just rein it back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've. I appreciate the that so I didn't have a mental breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> so then you went from there on to your PhD. Now, what is your PhD and why did you decide to do a PhD? That's a, that's actually, let's talk about that question first. So you went on to do a PhD. Now, what made you want to do a PhD? So that's a really good question. Um, Cause after I graduated from my undergrad, I actually, uh, like I did my undergrad in terrestrial ecology and I thought I wanted to um, be an ecologist. So that's what I did um, during a placement year as part of my undergrad and for a year after. And then I was like, you know what, this isn't, this isn't what I want to do forever. I, I want to do something that I'm really passionate about and that I really love. And through going through Madagascar and then I went to Mozambique after I graduated as well, like everything was sort of like coming together and I was thinking okay actually I would love to do marine biology um like it was just one of these things that was like slowly building in my mind so when I went back to do my master's I was like okay doing the master's and then we're doing the PhD I want to do research I want to do something that makes a difference um and I love teaching as well so you know, you just, you can't get that dynamic um, work atmosphere from anything else. Um, like, I love the combination of doing demonstrator work and teaching and my own research and collaborating with other people on their research. And obviously, field work is an amazing part of that as well. So it was just, yeah, it's just something that, I, yeah, I just, I decided okay, this is what I want to do. And I just, I really just went for it. Cool. So what are you doing for your PhD? What is kind of an overview of your project? 
So my project is exploring different ways of restoring seagrass in, um, in South Africa. So the species of seagrass that I'm looking at is Zoster capensis. Um, so it's using a number of different methods to be able to do that restoration. So um, we're looking at using transplantation, um, methods to see kind of what um, spatial arrangement and diameter cause you need to be able to optimize the restoration and transplantation process. So if you're if you've got a degraded seagrass meadow, then if you can potentially bolster that with moving seagrass from another meadow. Um, so you basically want to have that balance between of taking the minimum amount of seagrass from a healthy meadow to also get the maximum um, impact on the meadow that you're trying to save. Um, and also because of just the uh, interesting ecology of South African estuaries and lagoons, um, we're also gonna be looking at excluding biotic pressures. So things like sand prawns that churn up the mud and sand um, which makes it really difficult for seagrass to be able to yeah. colonize. So that's going to be a really interesting um, and, and challenging part of the, the project when I get to do it. Um, we're also going to be using um, habitat suitability models so that we can potentially optimize areas where we can do restoration work. And then finally, we're going to be using a really exciting um, new tool to, um, to to science in general called transcriptomics which is basically looking at um, how the gene uh, how the genetic material responds to different stresses so looking at what kind of proteins the seagrass will turn turn on or try and use um, when it's under heat stress like will it turn on proteins that will eventually um, be uh, involved in cell death or will it be turning on proteins that will try and optimize um, how it's photosynthesizing or things like that and what kind of how far can we push it um, to, to try and find okay which which seagrass meadows are potentially more adapted to future climate change projections um, and we can use that seagrass that's um, more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? So it's more optimized basically. And then we can bolster any struggling meadows with that kind of seagrass if it's not adapted. So yeah, so that'll be a really exciting project because um, I'm, I'm quite new to genomics, but yeah. I'm doing a course on it next So are you week. guys actually, like, you're not physically transplanting seagrass. You're more of kind of, like, looking to see how it's going to fare in the future. So that's, the transcriptomics will be uh, looking at how the seagrass will fare in the future, but my first chapter will be getting to do some physical transplanting work as well, so... That'll be some really um, fun field work uh, to kick me off. And then we'll kind of 
monitor how how that uh, how that transplanting work goes so that'll be exciting cool that's really cool yeah. now why why is this something that's important to look at why is this what you're focusing on so seagrass is it's such an important species um and it's just so it's so largely overlooked i mean maybe it's i don't know if it's because it's not as charismatic as, as your coral reefs and your mangroves but it's just it's so amazing i mean it creates a whole ecosystem in itself and provides food for turtles and nursery habitat for invertebrates and fish that support about um about 20 percent of the world's fisheries uh, it helps protect coastlines and stabilize sediments to improve water quality um it, it, it's involved in nutrient recycling and i suppose the biggest um the biggest benefit of having seagrass meadows is is the fact that it can bury carbon from the atmosphere mm. um you know, up to 35 times faster than than tropical rainforests. So, I mean, that's an that's an incredible, um, that's an incredible incredible quality that seagrasses have. But, I mean, we're losing about a football field of seagrass every half an hour. So, we need to be looking at how we can optimize restoration work, um, and you know, really protect this hugely valuable resource. Yeah, absolutely. A couple episodes ago, by the time this comes out, it'll be, I think, like five episodes ago, we had uh, Lucy on who was talking about blue carbon. And sure. it really kind of, you don't realize how big of a role these like mangroves and seagrass beds and just like our aquatic plants play in climate change. Like they really are these like unknown ecosystem engineers where they're helping to delay climate change just by existing just that simple it's so cool yeah exactly um yeah shout out to ocean sleuth <laughs> um <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think these projects like project um seagrass and things like that going on in wales that seagrass is starting to get a bit more of a platform people are beginning to realize just how important it is um for things like offsetting climate change but we really have to look after these ecosystems that yeah as you say just by existing are giving us so many, providing so many services to us for free i mean you can put an economic cost on that um i think seagrasses provide um I think they add about three billion rand to the South African economy a year alone, um, you know, in the UK or America and, you know, all these other countries. The seagrass is found in practically every continent. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like the global impact of purely having seagrass is immense. It's, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's not one of those things that it, like, I know there's other animals that have these huge impacts, but they're not something you see everywhere. It's like, they might be only a warm water species. They might be only a cold water species. So you're not getting exposed sure. to them if you don't live in the area they are. But these seagrasses, they're everywhere. So you're really, if you don't know about seagrasses, you you don't know about the ocean. Yeah, it's, um, 
it's such an exciting project because as more people are living by the coast, more people are uh, unknowingly relying on on seagrass as well. So, you know, I think it's something in the region of um, three billion people around the world rely on seagrass ecosystem services for things like food, um, financial income, their coastal protection and for some parts of the world also they have like a huge cultural significance things like you know they'll take seagrass and braid them into baskets and things like that um so yeah they're they're hugely important absolutely uh so you actually weren't there for too long before uh because of covid you only spent about six weeks there before you had to go home So what were your six weeks there like before you had to leave? What were you doing every day? Oh gosh, it was such a shame. I was really, oh God, I love South Africa so much. The people are amazing. They are so friendly and full of adventure. I'm so excited to go back and kind of have a take two of my whole whole adventure out there. But yeah, the time I did get to spend there was amazing. I mean, Stellenbosch is... Um, a great wine region in South Africa so that was a huge <laughs> a huge bonus uh, and also you know just like the scenery so I got to go on a few hikes and explore some hidden waterfalls and I did thankfully manage to get one dive in because I've never dived in giant kelp before so I really wanted to go and and do that as soon as I could so yeah what was your one dive like did you love it oh gosh the south africans are so hectic they are so (laughs) they literally are so unfazed it was really like crazy conditions but um yeah it was so fun like it was it was really cold actually um because of the which side we were on but you know i'd be diving in those kind of waters like sea temperatures over here on the Isle of Man in a dry suit and they were just rocking out in a wetsuit like you guys are so hardcore <laughs> um but yeah it was it was amazing I mean being in giant kelp you feel so tiny um yeah I all the people I'm following on Instagram who are still you know who get to dive out there it just is making me so hungry for it um because I know I'm really only just scratching the surface and especially with documentaries like my octopus teacher and things that have come out it's just yeah I'm excited yeah I'm excited it just kind of makes you want to be back there diving (laughs) hey yeah exactly um I got to go snorkeling with the with the um seals as well which was really fun um because the pups had just started coming into the water at that time they're about like I think four or five months old so they were super curious and they'd be nibbling on your fins and things like that and just coming up and like squirting um bubbles in your face and things so oh gosh that was such such a highlight of my (laughs) of my short adventure so what have you been doing since you left uh South Africa since you've been home yeah so I think um I've been trying to make the most of the time that I've been here because um, since I've actually learned to dive, I've never dived on the Isle of Man just because of 
you know, when I've been back, uh, I've not had my kit with me or it's been Christmas and things like that. So just the diving um, on the Isle of Man for the first time has actually been amazing. Um, I've also been really lucky in getting to do some voluntary work again with the Manx Wildlife Trust who have been doing a little bit for here and there for years now. So I was involved in a really exciting project looking at small shark tagging data that they've been doing for the last um, I think seven years now. So you can really start to look at, you know, where the heat, you know, get make a heat map of where the key spots for these sharks are. And yeah. um, so I've been helping um, identify areas for new marine protected areas around the Manx coast, which is um, incredible um, and definitely something that I wouldn't have got involved in if I hadn't have had to come home <laughs> and then also like really great initiatives like Sea Search um, which is marine biological recording and they, you know you do a weekend of intense training um, and then yeah you go out and, and, and start doing it for real so got to see seagrass over here on the Isle of Man which was Zoster Marina uh, which was which was stunning and you know oh, just got to see things that I've always wanted to see in the Irish sea like sea hares and octopus and little uh, bobtail squids and um, oh, just so many more nudibranch species always love <laughs> nudibranch so yeah that's been an amazing highlight of, of my time here for sure that is awesome. Yeah. Now, I want to share something about you that I think is super amazing. Okay. Now, how I discovered you is, in fact, your Instagram account. Okay. And you have one of the coolest Instagrams <laughs> I think I have ever seen. Oh. Full of education, super cool photos, fun things. That oh, is so you. amazing that you're doing that. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing that I kind of started doing in lockdown um I don't even really know what made me start doing it but I'm just I love it so much and I just have like it's so cool all the amazing people who are just you know whether they're adventuring or researching um or like you know being huge ocean advocates um like the conservation work people are doing it's just it's insane and I it's been such an amazing thing to come out of this year I, I really love doing it actually <laughs> that it's really it really is so cool that you're making science so accessible and so easy to understand like posting things I think you posted one the other day about like a sea slug that was super cool yeah and fish like the photos are absolutely beautiful oh thank you so much yeah most of them were taken on my trip um in Japan but I'm hope I'm also trying to take photos of things that you find around the UK because I think um people don't realize just how amazing and diverse and how colorful 
the life around the UK is. I think they just kind of think that everything's in varying shades of brown and grey and it's all kind of a bit murky and boring. And it's, and it's just so not the case. And I think my favourite thing is just about, you know, the natural world. There's all these amazing adaptations that, uh, you know, species have to their environment, like, um, you know, like seagrass, for example, is obviously a an exciting one to talk about but yeah this honestly it's um this it yeah it's I've actually learned so much through doing it and it's really great the conversations that I've had with like even my friends and family since I've do, been doing it like teaching them actually about kind of some of the marine issues and and so they can yeah. fall in love more with this whole world that as divers we are so lucky to get to explore but for a lot of people that's not possible or they you know maybe they're too scared to to do it or or for whatever reason so if you can if you can share that with people and give them a, an existence value to these things then they can really start to understand like why plastic pollution is such an issue why over exploitation of fisheries stop is um so damaging why coral bleaching is a huge threat to you know to people in the uk as much as it is to people in australia um so yeah it just i love doing psychoms <laughs> it is really awesome and i've learned just from following you i've learned so much I've learned so much just from you and like I'll read the post like I remember there was one on nudibranchs and I'm familiar with nudibranchs we have them around where I am and I've seen them before like I knew they existed and I was like oh yeah nudies cool and then I was like scrolling I was like oh I, I didn't know that oh that's really cool oh <laughs> and it's just presented in such an easy way to understand like it's written that like a fifth grader could understand it and I mean that in the that's, that's a little <laughs> insulting but it's really the best way possible because you're introducing these things to people who have no scientific knowledge and it's making it so accessible and it's so awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I try and make it, I try and write them so that marine biologists find it interesting, but also people who aren't necessarily like marine biology, like literate with all the jargon and technical language that we use all the time like they can still understand it so it's still accessible to them because um you know in the 18 and 1900s people used to buy tickets to go see scientists talk about their new findings and literally a lot of the roads in places like london were made one-way streets so that um you know there wasn't too much congestion because people were literally que queuing around the block to go see scientists speak and yeah I don't know if there's really so much that I mean obviously there's David Attenborough's documentaries and you have these amazing icons um but just having that kind of um that conversation with people who yeah just the general public um is so important so that they can understand and appreciate what on earth we're talking about basically <laughs> absolutely so do you want to share your instagram right now and where people can find you if they want to follow along with you and learn sure so my instagram handle is underwater with katie um i'm in the middle of 
building a website so that you can find out a bit more about me or get in touch um and also like i'm writing a couple of little blog pieces and things um because i tend to so exciting (laughs) you didn't tell me that yeah my goodness (laughs) well i tend to find that like with some of the things i'm trying to talk about like oh okay how do i write this really short so that people will actually read the whole thing but that they actually understand it at the same time because this is kind of complicated so yeah that's the water woman is getting a sneak preview (laughs) to know that you're getting this set up and coming soon oh my goodness it's a world exclusive (laughs) (laughs) Um, i love it yeah so i mean literally if you have any marine biology questions just totally feel free to answer them like ask me um and i'll do my best to answer them because like people i love it people literally send me photos of things that have washed up on the on the beach or whatever and it's like what's this fish <laughs> and i'm like okay where are you um how big is it and it's just i love it people really test me um some of them have been super random uh and yeah it, i mean i learn from the things that people ask me so yeah i love it it's a two-way street well, that is awesome well make sure you follow along with katie so you can get some uh, so you can know when this behind the scenes exclusive comes out <laughs> and you can learn all about these different ocean animals and places and things and it's so much fun you will not regret following her i promise <laughs> thank you so much i feel really embarrassed about doing like promo for my page but yeah, I love Absolutely doing do it. Do not do your own horn. You are amazing. And I'm super excited to be promoting it and telling everybody to go follow this. If you're listening, stop whatever you're doing. Unless you're driving, don't like don't break in the middle of the road. But go follow her right now because it is so fun. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And if there's like if there's things that you want me to kind of talk about or whatever, I'm always up for suggestions. So throw them at me. Like push me, challenge me. I'm here for it. <laughs> amazing well katie thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today it was absolutely awesome to have you on and i'm super excited to share this episode with everyone yeah thank you so much jill it's been like oh it's just such a such a privilege to be part of like this amazing community that you've made and yeah i feel like i'm fangirling because i can't believe i'm actually on this right now (laughs) thank you so much for listening to another episode of the water women podcast It truly means so much to me that you guys are along for this journey with me and enjoy hearing from a new water woman every week. It really helps the podcast out whenever you leave ratings or reviews, and I love reading some of the reviews that you guys leave. So if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you rate the podcast and leave a review wherever you're listening. The holiday season's coming up, and I hope you guys are all set for it. I would love to hear some of the awesome sustainable gift ideas that you guys have or are using this Christmas season. Leave a comment on our Instagram post featuring Katie and let us know what your favorite part of this episode was and what your favorite sustainable gift is going to be. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe to it. You can also follow us on all of our social medias. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Water Women Podcast and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. You can also find more behind the scenes info on our website, waterwomenpodcast.ca. I am so happy to keep sharing these stories of different water women each week with you. And until next week, stay salty.